Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'd, uh, I'd like to just start tonight uh, with just reading this prayer um, that someone in our community wrote for the Advent reading. Um, to be honest, I forgot to read it, but it is worth reading because it was just that good. And so I'm going to just invite you for a moment. Uh, let's imagine this is kind of our introductory time. But just close your eyes and hear this prayer over God's people. God of everlasting love and kindness, we have come to marvel in your sovereignty once again. A celebration has rung out and we have been invited to participate. Creation has fixed its eyes towards the most divine moment in all of history. An innocent baby, a savior who is Christ the Lord has been delivered unto us. And God of all wonder and majesty, we worship you for in this child we have found everlasting life. From the one who now lays in a manger will soon hang from Calvary's tree. We join the angels and heavenly hosts in their joyful singing, glory to God in the highest. The victory victory darkness once grasped is now resting on the shoulders of this child of Bethlehem. Help us not to forget this marvelous grace you have woven into our stories through Christ Jesus. Your love, both mighty and tender, meets us here even now. You have called us by name, and we will answer. While our praises echo from mountains and valleys, we still wait in holy anticipation for the final day when we will catch your gaze once again. Until then, we sing hallelujah, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, there is no greater intro to my message than that. In fact, I feel like I could probably be done after reading that prayer. Advent truly is one of my favorite seasons. And this happens to also be one of my favorite passages, mainly because it's one of those passages that you can read time and time again and realize you just aren't getting hit. Have you read that Bible that way before? Like you kind of read a passage and you've read it time and time again and you're just like, ah, there's just so much richness. Why can't I just like download it into me? And it's one of those passages for me that no matter how much I try to download it, I think it's in Christ's kindness that I just don't fully get it just yet because it's something that I need to learn how to live out for the rest of my life. And so as I think about tonight's passage and as I truly have been praying about what our community needs to hear, it's dawned on me that there's only uh, two more weeks left in the year for young adults anyway. Um, Not like the world's going to explode, it's just that we're taking a break for three weeks. And so there's three full gatherings that we have and I'm just thinking, my gosh, Lord, what is it that you desire for your people to hear as we burn this candle of hope, as we seek to come under the banner of Jesus and his love and join, as the prayer said, join all of the heaven hosts and angels and proclaim, Jesus, you are great and greatly to be praised. What is it you desire 
And it started to make me think about what is it that I desire most to be true about my relationship with Jesus in 2023? Because it's just a few weeks away, right? It's just right around the corner. And so what do you normally do on January 1st? You commit yourself to a whole new set of resolutions. You kind of resolute yourself to fail your resolutions, but you make them nonetheless. And you might be asking God, like, what is it that you, what is my word for the year? Or what is my New Year's resolution? What should I prepare myself for? But I truly have been asking myself this question, and I would invite you to ask yourself this question. What do you want to be most true about your relationship with Jesus in 2023? What do you want it to be? Do you want it that maybe uh, that you would fast more, or maybe you'd want to commit to finally finishing the Bible reading plan that finally you get through Leviticus and not give up? Maybe you actually, for the first time, get to pray every day and not give up because you just want to sleep more than you want to pray. And this is no judgment. Uh, me too. <laughs> I, I am not an early riser by any means. And then suddenly, anyway, it doesn't matter. I just suck at resolutions. But if you were at Friendsgiving this past uh, Friendsgiving, so a couple of weeks ago, man, like, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've grown to see that God has changed this community over the last year. I mean, you, if, if, it's, if that was your first gathering, you might think, oh, this is the norm where, where people just come out of their seats and come to be prayed for. That, that has not been a norm for this community uh, or where people experience the tangible presence of Jesus. And we've seen that in pockets over the year, but, but it's been happening week after week, time and time again, where people are just set free from their sin and bondage. And like God has been doing amazing things in this community in 2022 and truly, I pray that that type of spirit-led and spirit-empowered activity would be the norm, not just for this community, but for Mosaic Church as a whole. But wouldn't you want to experience that kind of relationship with Jesus every day in 2023? Yeah? Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, 2022 was not like that for me. In fact, I feel like God has been silent all of 2022. But then the question still remains, wouldn't you want to experience the power and presence of Jesus every day? If your answer is yes, me too. And I ask that because God has been doing a good work in this biblical community but the key to experiencing a life that is bathed with the power and presence of God is intimacy with Jesus. Because it is in the space of intimacy in which we are able to have a full access view of God and where we are best positioned to receive all that God seeks to deposit into your life. But what Jesus desires more than anything else is intimacy with you. But do we seek that same intimacy with him? Because we live in a world where everything, frankly, feels important, right? Like everything feels like it needs our attention and our focus. And so we start this juggling act where our jobs and our classes and our career path and our families and throw another thing, our spouses or our friends, our social calendar, our fill in the blank, whatever it is that you feel is most important in your life. And then suddenly 
We experience Jesus, but all these other things feel like they're contending for space in our lives. And what can happen is that we think that Jesus and all these other important things are of equal importance, but we know logistically not everything can have the same level of importance. So then you have to start doing this game where you try to divvy out what percentage of your life do you give to this thing. So this thing over here gets 10% and that gets 5% and that deserves 33.33, one third of my life percent. But Jesus can get this section of my life because he's important, so he deserves a little bit. And I know that many of us seek intimacy with Jesus, but often we try to fit him into whatever space we have left in our lives. And I think we do this because we believe that we can develop a life of intimacy with Jesus without actually spending any time with him. But intimacy with Jesus is the focal point of the Christian life. If you want to have intimacy with Jesus, it is only possible by being with Jesus. And so in John 15, the, the text we're in for tonight, Jesus makes intimacy between his disciples and himself as a non-negotiable. Now, the idea of a non-negotiable in a relationship seems a little bit weird because you're like, wait, hold on. Like if relationships should have some kind of exit plan, like what if the relationship grows toxic and unhealthy? What if I don't want to do what that person wants me to do? Or what if the person I'm in a relationship with doesn't do what I want them to do? I, I should have the right to leave. So relationships should be non-negotiable, right? And while I hear you and I can try to sympathize with that level of that outlook on human relationships, but, but Jesus tells his disciples that intimacy with him is a non-negotiable because they need him. Or better yet, Jesus says to us that our relationship with him is non-negotiable or intimacy with him is a non-negotiable because we desperately need him. And more than just to have a friend for companionship, but we need him for life itself. See, the way that Jesus illustrates this reality is here in verses one through five. I'm gonna read it for us again. It says this, verse one, Jesus about himself. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How often do we look at our relationship with Jesus in a way where you literally say, I cannot do this. And by this, I mean anything in my life without your presence. How often do we see that desperation for Jesus? Because quite often I think we just convince ourselves I can get through without him. It's nice if I need him, but I can do things independent of him. But what Jesus is saying here is, no, no, it's not that you can do some things here without me. And then when you need me, I'll come in. It's anything that you commit yourself to, you need me in. 
And so we find that Jesus describes this relationship between him and his disciples as the vine and his branches. He is the vine and his disciples are the branches. And there's two action verbs that Jesus focuses on mainly in tonight's passage and it's abiding and bearing fruit. And as you, as you go through the text, you see that Jesus places a large level of importance on branches that bear fruit. In fact, Jesus in, in, in these 17 verses uses the phrase bear fruit eight times. He says it in these contexts, in verses two and six, Jesus says that branches that do not bear fruit are thrown away. But branches in verse eight that bear much fruit are pruned and bring glory to God. So now if you were to hear this as a disciple for the first time, you would think, okay, if I'm supposed to bear much fruit, how do I bear this fruit? That's a logical question to ask. But before we ask that question, we have to understand what is fruit, right? Because it's not like grapes. He's not asking you to pop out grapes. What is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Now, some scholars would say that the fruit that Jesus is talking about is he's really, uh, is about the fruit of the Spirit, which you can find in Galatians, which is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some say that in the context of this passage, Jesus is desiring to produce fruits of love in his disciples. But as you piece this passage together, as you see the different places where Jesus talks about fruit or where the scriptures speak about fruit, fruit is referring to a life that is produced as a result of complete dependence on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the fruit. But that fruit is not the main thing. Because fruit is only made possible by what? Verse five, whoever what in me? Whoever abides in me and I in him that's the person that bears much fruit. For apart from me, they can do nothing. So the fruit is a byproduct of abiding in Jesus. The branches don't get to come out and produce whatever fruit they want. They don't get to come out and commit themselves to producing fruit. A branch doesn't stand there and like squeeze really hard and then out comes a fruit. That's not how it works. The branch is 100% dependent on the vine. The fruit is important, but it means nothing and it does not exist if the branch is not tied to the vine. Therefore, the passage at hand is not focused on bearing much fruit. It is focused on abiding in Jesus. And so Jesus uses the word abide in this text 12 times. So even more than bearing fruit, Jesus is trying to get our attention to abide. And so what does abide mean? To abide means to remain or continuously be in the presence of. In other words, he's calling them to a space of intimacy. And so Jesus, as he calls his disciples to abide in him, he is telling them to remain with him, to stay close to him, for the branch to abide in the vine. Now, I'm, I'm a visual person, but I'm also from the city, so I have no idea what a vine is. The closest thing to a vine I know is the app. Rest in peace. <laughs> but um, I Googled it. Um, can I get the image up? Thank God for Google, because now I know this is what Jesus kind of was trying to get at. 
And I just want you for a moment, this, this picture's only gonna be here for a little bit, but I just want you to look for a moment how close the vine is to the branches. Like, look at it just for a moment. There is no break between them. There is no space between them. There is only connection. In fact, it's actually kind of hard to define where the vine stops and the branch begins. It's just this continual connection between the vine and the branches. And that space or lack thereof, that union, that closeness, that intimacy that Jesus is calling for is to look like this. This is what he wants our relationship with him to look like. This is intimacy, to remain in the presence of the vine. Or in other words, to remain in the presence of God. Now in the Old Testament, there were only a handful of people that were invited to come into the presence of God. Now everyone was allowed to meet with God in the way that Jesus is inviting his disciples here in John 15. Like even when people in the Old Testament were invited to be in the presence of God, it was only for a short period of time. And so there's actually this scene in Exodus 34 where, where Moses goes up to, is invited by the Lord to come up to Mount Sinai to meet him face to face. And it's uh, the last of the eight times that Jesus, that God has invited Moses to come up to, the, come up to him. And so he's called him to come up to on stone tablets to jot down, or I guess just stamp out the commandments that God wants to give for Israel. And so Moses there is there for 40 days and 40 nights. But you know, as, as Moses goes up, what we recognize is that there's nowhere in the text that it says that, God, that Moses came with snackables and lunchables. He didn't come with water. It didn't say he came with any preparation. All it says is that he just came to be with the Lord. In fact, all that the biblical author of Exodus says in verse 28 is that Moses was with God and that he didn't have any water or food. So all that Moses had was the presence of God. Now, this does not mean application-wise, stop eating and drinking and that the presence of God is all you need. That's the wrong application for this. But what I'm trying to get at here is that the presence of God sustained Moses on the mountain. The point is that what sustains followers of Jesus is the presence of Jesus. And you might think, but I get that. But I think we don't. I just don't think we do. And Jesus, you see, as Jesus starts to unpack John 15, or just this illustration to his disciples, the reason he's doing it is because he's preparing his disciples of what life will be like, the beautiful yet brutal experience of seeking to follow Jesus in a hostile and broken world. You see, Jesus is, uh, is telling his disciples to abide in him because in just a few moments, in just a few hours, he's going to be taken into prison. In just a few days' time, he will be hanging, crucified, in fact, in John chapter 16, verse two, Jesus warns his disciples, he says, There's gonna, a day is coming where people will eagerly persecute you and they're, going to, and they're going to think that they're doing God's will by killing you. 
Their life, the disciples' life circumstances were very bleak and their days would seem short. And the only comfort for a disciple of Jesus in a broken world is not the fruit. It isn't the fruit. And I think we relegate too much of the Christian walk to the fruit. We're proud of ourselves because we, on the Bible app, committed to that day and said, I read my Bible for today. Or you, you, maybe you're one of those people and, I, and there's nothing in judgment of you, but maybe you, <laughs> you Instagram your quiet time or you've highlighted everything and it looks really pretty. And, and they said, this is the fruit. Like I, I spent time with Jesus today or you, your caption on Instagram is really powerful. And people are like, wow, I needed to hear that. Wow, thank God for you and this and this and that. But that's not what sustains the Christian. Because when it gets difficult and the life gets hard and when the hope is drained and when joy feels far and when love seems distant and when peace seems never coming, you know what you don't get to look at and think, wow, I'm filled again. It's your Instagram posts. It's your TikTok videos. It's these Bible reading plans. None of those things, those fruits don't sustain you. The vine sustains you. Jesus sustains you. And we as disciples of Jesus are sustained only by Jesus, by being in the presence of Jesus. Can you see now why intimacy with Jesus is a non-negotiable? It's not because he's so demanding. It's because our neediness is so demanding. What then is it that we receive in the presence of God? Because something has to be compelling about it. Like, like I can say to anybody, hey, come over and, I, and I'll help you feel better. Or I, you just, just come on over and we can talk about it. But there, there, there has to be something that you can give to a person that would compel them to constantly be in your presence. This is what verse nine says. Jesus speaking against his disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my Love. Now, Jesus makes a clarifying adjustment here between verses four and nine, because in verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you. And then in verse nine, he says, abide in my love as my love abides in you. So he's advertising, he's telling them, compelling them. What is most compelling about being in my presence is that when you're in my presence, I am able to deposit and shower over you love. Now, that might not seem too compelling because love doesn't seem to be much of a force in our world these days. My wife likes to watch a lot of Hallmark movies. Oh, God, don't judge her. She's still my wife. <laughs> I will come for you. <laughs> but as you watch the movies, they're compelling. I mean, I shouldn't have just said, I should have just said, I like Hallmark movies, whatever. But the storyline is the same every time, right? Maybe it's, you know, uh, I guess the, as, it, as age progresses, it's, you know, girl with corporate job meets man in, in, who owns a ranch or <laughs> wants to someday own a ranch and uh, 
and just twinkles his eyes and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm willing to give up my whole career for you. And it's like, oh, but I shouldn't. I've worked so hard for this. And then somehow in 48 hours, they fall in love and they've given up everything and now moved into a town in Montana that doesn't exist because it's recorded somewhere in Wyoming, whatever. Like, like you know, it, it, these are just what the movies is, but this is the, our concept of love. You might say not really because maybe you understand that there's a love that far supersedes that, but this is the love that our world peddles. It's what it gives to you. It's what it tells you is you should look for. You want a small town farm boy who has big biceps and a six pack and looks really sweet. <laughs> or you want that Christian girl on whatever Hallmark, whatever. Like this is what we peddle to the, the world gives onto us as a demonstration of love. But that's not what Jesus advertises when he says, abide in my love. He actually tells us what his love looks like in verse 12 and 13. He says, no greater love is there than this, than a friend who is willing to lay down their life for another. See, in context, the disciples were like, uh, like I can imagine like, like Peter being like, I got to die for John. <laughs> or John being like, Hey man, Peter denied you, bro. You said Peter's gonna deny you. I'm not down for that fool. Like that guy's gonna mess up. Like I'm out. So in like hindsight, they might, they might've been like, I, I don't wanna do it then. But what Jesus was referring to was his crucifixion. No greater love is there than this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And he gives the example of laying their life down for one another. And this is Jesus' demonstration unto us. Abiding in the presence of God means that you get to experience the fullness of his love for you. A love that knows no limits. A love that is unconditional. A love that is freeing and safe. One that builds up and encourages. It is a love unlike anything else in this world. But what does it actually mean to abide in the love of Christ? Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So what does it mean to abide in love? It means to follow commandments. Well, that just kind of sounds like legalism, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It can seem like that. How can God say it's love if there's a rule attached to it? Here's why. Because every commandment that God gives to his people drives us back to the vine. It's not about how well can you follow the command. It's about how much do you recognize how much you need to be in the vine. All the commandments of God are to drive you back into the presence of him and his love for you. He wants us in his presence. 
That's literally all that he's saying. I mean, he saw from afar when humanity fell, he sent prophets and kings and priests so that he could tabernacle with his people, tabernacle dwelling, so he could be with his people. He sends Jesus as Emmanuel, meaning God with us, so he can be with us and dwell with us. Even upon departure, he sends his spirit so that his presence can be with us. As we look to the end, if you read your Bible, get to Revelation, we get to the end and it's so that God God would be with us forever. His desire is to be in our presence and for us to be in his. Because we need it. Without the vine, there is only one thing that will happen. You will die. or as jokingly as we did in the teaching team meeting this week, abide or die. But that's what he says. Any branch that does not bear fruit is cast aside and burned. It's dead. And too many of us are withering away right now because we've peddled a version of Christianity that cares more about the fruit than the presence where we care more about doing things for God instead of being with God. There's a version of Christianity that is pretty on the outside but dead on the inside and we can do all the Christian lingo and know all the Christian things, but short of abiding in Jesus, we will wither and die. And I can say that to you confidently as a minister of the gospel because I do this all the time. I'm not calling you to abide in Jesus because I do it better than you. I call it to you because I know that without it, you can't make it because I'm not making it without him. It's one of the, 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 the unfortunate parts about working at a church is that most of what I do can often feel like I ask for God's presence so that I can do the work of the ministry because I care about the fruits. Over the last few months, life has been on a trajectory of like a roller coaster, but on, on crack, like it's just been going so fast since September, like literally every plan of rest of moment of, of time of aloneness or anything, like any time of reprieve that Rachel and I have tried to find in our lives has gone out the window. And I don't really have time. I've tried to spend time alone with the Lord. I've tried to abide in his presence. But what I've found to be most true of my time with Jesus is that I ask him to speak to me so that I can speak to others, but I don't ask him to speak to me so that my heart can be made alive again. I'm not asking him to speak to me so that I could be transformed. I'm hoping he does a lot of work through me, but sometimes I forget that the work needs to be done in me. That's my story. Literally, I'm sitting there. I had one hour this week of, a, of quietness where I, had, I made a cup of coffee and I was sitting on the couch and I remember like, oh my gosh, there's nobody here. No one's saying anything. And so I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee and I'm like, man, all right, Lord, I'm supposed to preach this week. I'm not really getting the text in my head right now. Lord, I need you to speak to me. So I'm gonna sit here and quiet. Like, I don't know, hold on, Lord. I, I know you wanna say something, but give me a second. I just wanna set the parameters. I, I, I need you to speak to me so that I can hear what you wanna speak to your people. Okay, go. 
and nothing happened. I was like, okay, Lord, I don't know if you heard me, uh, but I, Thursday's coming. I gotta preach. I need you to deposit in me something so I can speak to people. And after about the third or fourth time, I just felt the spirit of God tell me, man, you want me for your ministry, but you don't want me for you. I didn't die for your ministry. I died to be with you. How often I pedal, we pedal and take for granted intimacy with Jesus, not recognizing that without the presence of God, we will wither and we will die. We desperately need to be in the presence of God. He wants us like he wanted Moses on that mountain. He wants us before his presence so that he can deposit his great love over us because the more time we spend in the presence of God, the more we are transformed from glory to glory, the more we lack worry in terms of food or water or clothes. We trade hurry for intentionality. We trade worry and anxiety for vision and creativity. Our greed and our gluttony and lust become recognizable as hunger and we are fed by the bread that is Jesus that actually satisfies our hearts instead of living a life of death. Inspiration. The life that we want, the presence that we want can only be met by meeting with Jesus. That is as simple as I can put it. And if, and if it's not compelling enough, I, I don't know what else to say, but I, I hope and pray that the spirit of God begins to reveal to you how utterly desperate you need to be for him. Because without him, as he says, we can do nothing So I'm gonna give you just a couple of suggestions. If you're, if you're hearing this and you're saying, okay, I, I want to abide in Jesus. I just don't really know how to. I just wanna give you a couple of things that you can go ahead and start doing to abide in Jesus. Number one, remove your distractions. And I don't just mean remove your phone. I, re, I mean, remove anything in your life that contends to have your heart more than Jesus. I mean anything. And, and, and I'll say it again, I mean anything. Because that career, that job, that person, that thing, that opportunity, that whatever is not going to satisfy you and bring you the life you desire. But only the presence of God will. The second thing I would ask you to do is ask what activities does Jesus promised to show up in? Well, you have to go to your word for that, but he tells you in his word, he, he promises to show up. He promises to show up in worship. He promises to, to, to come to you as you pursue him. He says he'll show up in his word. He'll show up in prayer. He'll show up in the disciplines of fasting. He'll show up. In fact, even simpler than that, he says, you have not because you ask not. Just ask him to show up and he will. He's not hiding from you. He's just wanting you to recognize that you need him. And then finally, I just say, develop the discipline of intimacy. It's not a muscle that you just are born with. It's something you have to cultivate. We cultivate intimacy. 
You don't just look at someone. I mean, yes, we, you know, we peddle this idea of falling, like first love, like, oh my gosh, I love at first sight. The intimacy with Jesus is something that is cultivated time and time again because there'll be times where, where you don't want to meet with him but you know that your heart and your soul needs it and so you show up. You just show up. So I'll ask you tonight, will you move towards intimacy with Jesus tonight? Will you like Moses ascend the mountain and let yourself be cared for by the power and presence of God? Will you let yourself remain in the love of God? I hope you remain, not just tonight, but remain daily. Make that your mission. The fruit, that's important. Presence is what matters. Jesus is our vine. Will you remain in him? Let's pray. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal to every single one of us, myself included, how desperately we need to abide in your presence. How desperate we need your presence. But not just how desperate we are, but how wonderful it is to be lavished with love that you give. Allow us in this moment to have a taste of what abiding in you looks like. As we respond in worship, as we respond in song, may we begin to develop the rhythms of intimacy with you. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. It's your name we pray. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.